Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network. You find yourself saying, oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. You need to turn that around because your thoughts are nerve signals just like your pain. Welcome to Talking Head Pain, a podcast that confronts head pain head on. I'm Joe Coe, Director of Education Digital Strategy for the Global Healthy Living Foundation. I've lived with migraines for 20 years, so I understand how they can dramatically impact your life. Today, I'm wondering if there's a way that we can strategize and outfox a migraine. I'm speaking with a renowned migraine strategist, Dr. Lindsay Weitzel. Outside of helping others take on head pain professionally, she's an author, host of the National Headache Foundation's podcast, Heads Up, and just an overall fun and nice person. Hi, Lindsay. How are you? I am great. How long did it take for you to distinguish between what many would consider a headache and a migraine? I had chronic daily migraine from my earliest memory, which is around the age of four. And everyone told me this is the same as my father's history. So to me, I just thought everyone was like this. And everyone told me I had sinus headaches, just like they told my father. So it wasn't until I could read well, well enough to read a book written by the Mayo Clinic that happened to be in my family's library. And I read the migraine section and I was thinking to myself, I I must have been 10 or so. I was thinking to myself, gosh, I feel like these headaches I get are actually migraine because I do all these things. I vomit like they talk about. I have all of these other symptoms, but it wasn't until I was 17 that they actually diagnosed me with migraine because they came out with Imatrix and someone gave me an Imatrix injection and said, oh, these are actually migraines that you have essentially every day. So for the first 17 years of her life, Lindsay was essentially in the dark about what was causing her daily chronic headaches and only discovered the real cause by accident when she picked up a book in her father's library. I asked Lindsay to describe the type of symptoms she gets when a migraine attack hits. I get many, many different types. I used to experience everything from constant nausea and vomiting. I don't vomit as much anymore. I I do experience quite a bit of nausea, but I don't vomit too often. I definitely experience cognitive dysfunction when they come. I experience dizziness. Mostly my worst symptom is pain. I have very severe pain because mine started when I was so young and they were so constant. I developed something called complex regional pain syndrome in the same pattern as my migraine. So it's the right side of my head, face, neck, and down my arm. So I also experienced like a raging, burning fire pain down to my bone marrow along with the migraine and they sort of make each other worse. I want you to think about the worst migraine attack that you had, where you were, what you were feeling, what was going through your head, and just anything else that you think people need to know about your worst migraine attack ever. My worst one stands out very strongly in my mind. It was actually, I had a migraine-related seizure that stopped me from breathing. And likely the only reason I'm even here today is at the time I happened to be married to an anesthesiologist who was able to induce me to breathe. And what was going through my head, honestly, was at first not much because I was so used to really horrid migraines, but I had left work and I had gotten myself home and I was in bed and it just seemed like one of my worst migraines pain-wise. And I was having trouble even sitting up 
I was just having trouble speaking. I couldn't seem to speak correctly at all. And it was a right-sided migraine, which about 98% of my migraines are. And then it very suddenly switched to a left-sided migraine, which I don't get very often. And it was a severe left-sided migraine, which is unusual for me. And I started getting some auras that are, were like Alice in Wonderland type auras where everything's the wrong size. Like I felt like my hands were like Mickey Mouse hands, giant hands, everything in the room looked wrong. And then all of a sudden I couldn't swallow. And then I knew I had to vomit, which was totally normal for me. And I ran into the bathroom, but the reflex that allows you to vomit wasn't working. So I couldn't swallow my saliva and I was trying to vomit, but the vomit wouldn't come up. I tried to scream for help because I was afraid I was going to choke. And by the time my husband came in, I could see my legs kicking in the air back and forth because I had started seizing and I could see him trying to wrap my head in towels so that I didn't hurt my head because I was convulsing so much. I couldn't see him well. It was like I had stopped blinking. So my eyes went blurry. I could tell he thought I was dying, even though I could still see him. Eventually, I did quit breathing, and he was able to get me to breathe again. But those things are scary. I've never had that happen since, and I hope I never do. It was such an extreme migraine. I would definitely know when it was coming. It was the strangest migraine I've ever had. So that one was definitely my worst one. Wow. That almost sounds like something out of a nightmare. But a lot of people with migraine have similar experiences, including my own brother, who also has epilepsy. The seizure that Lindsay described was very similar to a seizure that I witnessed him having. Fortunately or unfortunately, he doesn't remember much of it, but it was a horrifying thing to watch. And as I said to Lindsay, episodes like hers and my brother's are often misunderstood. If you have a seizure, people don't necessarily know how traumatic that is after what it does to you to wear you down. So these discussions are really important. And thank you for sharing in detail and graphic detail, which people need to hear. They need to hear how serious migraine can be. And it's not just that. I do feel that people don't fully understand that the longer you have it and the longer you're chronic, the more important it becomes to stop it. Because I do think it just gets worse and worse and worse. And some of these things that I talk about, these extra symptoms, these things that happen are more likely to happen. And so I think it's so important to stop it in its tracks. You talked about working with clients to help them better manage their migraine. Can you explain a little bit of what you do with folks to help them? What I do is extremely variable, depending on the person, depending on where they are in their migraine journey. I work with people who live near me, but I'll be honest, I mostly work with people who live across the country and I meet with them via Zoom. I find out where they are in their journey. And I do something that I call building a rock wall against migraine. If you imagine a rock wall, all the rocks are different sizes. So I say that half that rock wall is strategies that are lifestyle. Half of it is medications, but the mortar of the wall that holds it all together is your mentality or spirituality, depending on how you want to look at it and what kind of person you are. And so I talk about all those things in the rock wall and we work on a rock wall together. I mostly end up honing in on this mortar because I really believe that let's say you find the best medication for your genetics and your migraine disorder. And a lot of times that medication works for a while. And then that rock sort of falls out of your wall and it stops working. 
And I really do believe that's because we didn't work on our mortar enough. I love that. And my father was a Mason. So I know a little <laughs> bit about mortar and caulking and all that stuff. Um, do you ever use some of those rocks to help people throw them at insurance companies? <laughs> yes. I need a bucket of rocks right now. That is one of the things we talk about. Unfortunately, it's not as easy for me to help people with that if they don't live here. Like if you're local, I know all the coolest people to go straight to and be like, look, you talk to this person in billing or this person here and there, and they've got it like this. They know what to do. If the person lives far away, I don't always have that magical person in your area to help you. But when someone really knows your area and the hospitals and the clinics and stuff, there's a lot of times a really magical person in your area that can help with that. Lindsay is a single parent and her migraine can often affect her interactions with her children. But she, as a strategist, has some useful tips for us to get through attacks when they occur. What I do as a parent, and I'm, I also have a seven-year-old son that was diagnosed with chronic migraine this year. He has, knock on wood, dramatically better. We've managed to bring it down to almost nothing very quickly. So I both am a parent of a very young child that had quite a lot of migraine for a while. And then I myself, obviously, have migraine. I think the first thing to do when you're in the acute phase of a migraine is you need to find something distracting and empowering, or if not empowering, if that's not your thing, distracting and funny, something that's going to keep you up. And it's going to use the part of your brain that either is going to fall down the rabbit hole of pain and misery and suffering. And instead, you need to take your brain somewhere else so that you feel stronger after this migraine instead of weaker. So I do this with my kids and I do it with myself in front of my kids. So what we generally do if we're all home and I'm feeling terrible is my kids already know to go pick a superhero movie that mom likes and they turn it on. And my daughter is old enough. She generally makes popcorn and we all go and gather around this like empowering movie. We do the same thing with my son. If he's not feeling well, he picks the movie, which is usually a superhero movie or maybe something that makes him laugh. And is that why you wrote the book, Super Zoe, The Migraine Hero? My daughter wasn't even old enough to speak when I wrote that. She was only two, maybe three. I didn't have kids with migraine at the time or anything. I just remember feeling that kids that were like me when I was young needed something empowering to focus on. So the book, Super Zoe, The Migraine Hero, it doesn't educate much or anything. All it has in it is empowering images. I don't want these kids feeling like they have to read when they have a migraine. It just has empowering images for them to focus on so they keep their mind in a strong place. There's also coloring pages. If there's a particular image that they feel like is helping them, I can't really fit those pages in the book. So they're actually on my webpage and they can download it and they can color the pages. They're free so that they stay feeling strong and they're a little bit distracted during a migraine. And so definitely it was the whole superhero mentality, we're stronger, not weaker because of migraine is the reason I made that book. So who are the go-to superheroes in your house? Are you a Marvel, DC, <laughs> family? Like where does that break down? We're definitely a Marvel family. We love Iron Man. Right now, my son's really into Black Panther and my daughter's into Black Widow and I love Iron Man. It sort of switches sometimes, but yeah, we definitely love Marvel here. Do you have a particular movie or distraction you go to when you're not feeling well? 
I love Marvel and DC. I, I'm getting into uh, Titans on uh, HBO Max, which is a really interesting show. And I love Marvel. I would say my go-to for like just mindless distraction would either be Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the series from when I was in high school and middle school, and that's I'm dating myself. It still holds up. Harry Potter, unfortunately, there's some questionable um, politics with the uh, she who shall not be named. Uh, <laughs> so I don't celebrate that as much, but Harry Potter has done so much for so many people. Right. So I go to Harry Potter. I try to listen to music that I find soothing. I could do like melodic death metal to Britney Spears. I have a very diverse range of music. And fortunately, sounds don't bother me when I have my light does. I can't watch TV. So I don't really watch TV during an attack. Um, it's more after when I'm resting. It really depends on my mood. And I think part of managing migraine is the pre-post stuff that we have to deal with. So like, I might have to try to figure out how to amp myself up after I feel run down for a couple of days. So music can sometimes help with that. I think that's true. And I think it's interesting. There's certain migraines, not all of them do this to me, but there's certain ones that will, your mood, you're like, wow, why do I want to listen to that? <laughs> it's kind of weird. It will do things to your mood. So it, it is not that strange. I don't think that there's such a wide array of music that you're attracted to during and around the time of a migraine. I know a lot of people who can't watch TV during a migraine. I have to. But my ears are more sensitive. The phonophobia is worse for me. So it's harder for me to listen. I listen, I watch TV on low volume, but I know some people that will put their favorite movie on and just listen to it. They'll like put a pillow over their face or something and they'll just listen. So yeah, it just depends on which symptom is worse for you, the photophobia or the phonophobia, what you can do. But I always feel like you've got to find a way to get something positive into your system, whether it's through your ears or your eyes. Lindsay is the host of a podcast called Heads Up, which is sponsored by the National Headache Foundation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Heads Up, the webcast and podcast of the National Headache Foundation. I'm Dr. Lindsay Weitzel, migraine strategist. What is one of the most interesting things that you've learned while doing this? I've always been like reaching for the most difficult question that I know that people with migraine would love to have answered or the latest medication that I know they're going to want the details on that maybe they can't find online. They're going to want the expert that actually worked on the clinical trial. And do you know what one of our most popular episodes was? <laughs> it was literally just supplements. Let's just start with magnesium. Why is magnesium important to us if we are a person who experiences migraine? Magnesium is important mainly because it was Dr. Amelia Barrett and she's really into holistic treatments for migraine. And I pulled her on and she talked about magnesium, how long you need to take it and B2 and a few other supplements and gave the details on you need to take it for at least this long before you would see an effect, et cetera. And that one blew up. And I was like, you know, duh, that's something that someone can just run to the store and do for themselves. It didn't occur to me that some of the simplest things are what a lot of us really need and want to hear. Another really interesting one, just seeing the actual brain scans related to what meditation can do for someone with migraine and the neuroplasticity, the neuroplasticity ideas, the actual things that happen, the science behind how we can get better with meditation when we have migraine blew my mind a little bit. 
So you're telling me I shouldn't yell at my Apple Watch when it's telling me to breathe? I'm like, why are you telling? Don't tell me to breathe. You can yell at it, but afterwards, sit down, <laughs> meditate, and breathe. Go ahead and yell if that's what you feel like you need to do. But afterwards, yeah, breathe and meditate. You talked about helping people create their mortar and their foundation. What's a mortar tip that you would give to our audience? One of the most rudimentary mortar tips is that there's three places to attack your pain. You attack it on the sensation level. Then there is a thought level. What do you think about your pain? Do you literally think this pain is the worst thing on earth? It's going to kill you. It's going to last forever. Someone who's never had a migraine might laugh at that, but almost anyone who's had a migraine, what's one of the first things when it hits really bad that you find yourself saying, oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Most of us go through that phase. And then there's the emotional level. How does it make you feel? Do you feel like a loser because you're not at work? Do you feel like you're going to fail? Do you feel like it's unfair? So there's all these things that happen on those three levels. So we all really do a good job of finding ways to attack the sensation with the various medications and strategies that we get from our doctors and online. But then stop when you notice what you're thinking, or you might even hear yourself say it out loud. I thought this was really interesting that Lindsay says our thoughts are like nerve signals, similar to our pain and that your pain adapts to these thoughts. So if you're telling yourself that this is the worst pain you've ever felt, those thoughts are more likely to stick around and multiply. So you need to turn that thought around. Like, it's gonna be okay, it's going to go away, I'm going to be fine, I'm gonna be stronger at the end of this. And you need to distract your brain with something empowering like what we talked about, the music, the movie, whatever. And then the emotion. Are you stressed out? Do you have anxiety because you think your boss is ticked off at you? Do you feel ashamed? All of those things are going to bring you down. Again, these are nerve signals. They work in your brain just the same way the pain's working, and they are going to make the pain worse. They're going to make it more likely to stay, more likely to come back worse, and you need to turn those emotions around. And it sounds so hard, but this is something you practice. Even the pediatric people that work with kids who have migraine will tell you that this is old school. Don't stick them in a dark room and just let them sit there with their negative thoughts. It's about the worst thing you could do. Give them something in there that's positive. I want to circle back to what you think single parents should know about parenting with migraine. What are some tips you would give them? One of the tips is let them help you. They want to help because they get so sad, especially if they're young when, you know, mom's not feeling well. So find things they can do to help. Like I mentioned, my kids turn on the movie, they make popcorn, they love to get me a water bottle. Even if I don't need the water, I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you. They write me little notes. Another thing is I invite their friends over when I know a migraine's coming. And then I hide in the basement and let them play because then they're distracted with something fun and they're not as worried about me. So if they're an age where they can play on their own and be distracted, I think that that is a great strategy. I have one last question. As a parent, how do you feel seeing your child live with migraine? It's been hard, just like you thought it would be. But I do think that us mothers or fathers or parents that have been through it really bad, like our whole lives and have figured out how to strategize and work with the medical community and have educated ourselves are pretty well equipped to help our children. 
maybe more well-equipped than some of us realize. And, and I'm always just go at it the way you win it helping yourself. If you start early when they're really young and it's not like ingrained in their nervous system for 15 years before they get help. I totally agree that people that live with this disease and have children or family members that also have it can use their collective strength and wisdom that we have gained through our life experience living to help. And um, I thought that that's a, a really good use of that energy. Lindsay, this was an absolute delight having you on Talking Head Pain. Thank you so much for sharing your strength and your wisdom, your energy and compassion, and also your humor. It's really important, and we forget that, that while we're living with really difficult diseases, that we don't have to feel bad for ourselves, that we can advocate for ourselves, we can find the best treatments, we're going to feel crummy, but we really can find strength both within ourselves and with others. And thank you for being a source of strength in the migraine community. Thank you for having me. It was an honor and it was so fun. And I love talking to you. It's always so much fun chatting with you. I really appreciated that Lindsay shared practical tips for us while we're experiencing a migraine attack. I think that some of these tips were counterintuitive, but really helpful for those of us that are struggling in the moment with an attack. I'm sure as someone living with migraine, you have your own tips to share. Send them to us at talkingheadpain at ghlf.org. Better yet, include a short video or audio clip. And who knows, what you share may be included in our listener feedback portion of future episodes. Thank you so much for listening to Talking Head Pain, a podcast that confronts head pain head on. If you like this episode, you can help us out by giving us a rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to a podcast. It'll help more people like you find us, and we know that you want people to get help. I'm Joe Coe, host of Talking Head Pain, and I look forward to speaking to you next time. Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network.